Scuttlebutt. We're, uh, this is Scuttlebutt. I'm Zach again. I'm Mike, the sub host. Sodom host? No, I think it's like a, we're like 50. <laughs> we're 50 50. We okay. are, uh, it's like in the office when they had the uh, co managers. Assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, no, we're, this is 50 50. I mean, I'm doing all of the work and I think I'm paying for pretty much all the yeah, services. Yes, you are. Uh, but <laughs> all that like work behind the scenes. You know, I don't even listen to the goddamn things most of the time. It, it's true. <laughs> You know what? Fuck you. I'm the host. All right. Yeah, I'll be bottom let's host. Just, let's just make that very clear. You're bottom That's host. That's just fine. That's where I like to be. Well, to be fair, you carried the first uh, two or three episodes, and then we lost the episode that I did. Oh, that's right. We should re- reshoot and re-record that one. We should. That was that, that was, was really interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think about uh, what do you think about this whole coronavirus? I, we kind of nailed it. I think to be we were honest. about right. I think we were about right. Pretty accurate. Overall, yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, I think the the new update on that. I don't want to talk about this every week, but it is obviously pretty, topical. Yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure it's everywhere at this point. I really think that uh, there's a good chance wherever you are, somebody has COVID nineteen. I I re-listened to the last podcast like a million times, and in fact, I'm going to go ahead and you know what I'm I am going to sort of make a statement sure. on the last podcast because I think it did come across I came across at least I feel like a little bit callous mm. and um, so my point in when I was sort of addressing the and in fact I've been talking to people since then who are specifically in the audience of older folks or people with uh, compromised immunity right. for various reasons yeah. and their fears of uh COVID-19 coronavirus. And so I think what we were trying to communicate is not that we should ignore their plight, which you actually did a pretty good job of arguing. Yeah, like, so, why do we people, measure right? this? Like, yeah. old people and sick people, who cares? Yeah. They're dying. Yeah, it's just no, but people. it's more so like, I yeah. think uh, we need to weird. be like, those folks need to be protected against any illness because they're, they're not uh, so you know, I would argue the flu is actually even a more of a reason, like I want to punch people in the face is because there's a vaccine. So like herd immunity requires that mm-hmm. you've got enough people who are vaccinated or uh, they're immune to an illness so that um, they protect people who can't get that vaccine or have a compromised immune system. So I think when we were talking about that and sort of saying like, or again, I think it was largely I, and this is probably, I'm somewhat callous just because I've been buried in this now for almost mm-hmm. three months. And, uh, right. you know, I think I've just talked about it ad nauseum and, you know, I maybe have lost some empathy in this process, but my point was not again, to sort of downplay it. I think it's just, you know, the people that are at risk, it's not COVID-19 that is the threat. It's essentially any illness that affects whatever their um, vulnerability is. So if you have a respiratory issue or some other like cardiac issue, COVID-19, huge threat to them, but so is the flu. So is regular pneumonia. So those folks, Mm -hmm. we want to protect them no matter what, which requires good public health, requires, you know, hopefully, 
you know, insurance if they're lucky enough to have it. If not, like yeah. some government system to ensure that they get the care that they require. Yeah. I think my point was COVID-19, if you look across the board, 81% of us are essentially have nothing to worry about. And the remaining 20%, that's the same people that need to worry about everything. So uh, rather than making this giant national freak out, what we should do is invest in protecting those, you know, 20-ish percent of people that are highly vulnerable rather than... So like right now, there's some serious supply chain issues going on. Like you can't get masks, you can't get gloves, you can't get uh, a lot of the cleaning supplies for people who are not at risk at all. They're just essentially taking advantage, you know, like they're, they, if you were smart enough, you know, and I would argue probably not really intelligence, complete waste of your money, but if you went out and bought all this stuff ahead of time and you robbed someone who needs it more than you, like that to me is... That's not a good use of that. Right. So uh, we should have systems in place to protect the people who are vulnerable. So anyways, I think my point, yeah, I, think I, I don't know. The gut reaction too is like, oh, this is going to kill everybody. And then you find out, oh, it's not going to kill everybody. Just the small, with that, and again, not to diminish, but I think that's the the default setting for a lot of people. It's as not go from, I mean, that's what it comes down to. As long as it's not me, I don't care. I mean, I do that with every, right. I mean, like you have, like you could, have, it could be like your best friend who you find out just has like some awful cancer or other disease. And you're like, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a degree of like selfish, like, holy shit, I'm glad it's not me. And I right. think that's what a lot of people are doing. And, and then the other thing yeah. is like, when you, you want to downplay this, right? Like you as a yeah. individual don't want to, be scared to death. So if you can be like, ah, I'm under 60 and I don't have any preconceived or preconceived. I don't have any uh, preconditions that would put me at a higher risk. So, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Yep. And it's important. I think there's two different ways of thinking about that. I know that we talked about how the death rates are not super relevant. And I I agree with that. I understand. But there's two ways to think about it. You could say there's 2% death rate. That means I have a 2% chance of dying which is, who cares, not a big deal. Or you can think of a given population, 2% of those people will die, which is a much worse, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. We all know 100 people. Wow, you so know 100, 100 people? people? Look at you, big shot. <laughs> and obviously not people everyone. listening to this. <laughs> so if we did right, 2% so, of hey, our listeners, that's 10. One would die. <laughs> <laughs> that's 50 people, one of them's gonna die. Yeah. If everybody had do the math right, yeah, it is like out of that population, you know what I mean, which is significant. <laughs> like, two more listeners. If everybody listen, had it, first off, uh, to the two listeners that aren't going to make it, uh, we apologize. We're going to miss Sorry. you. We need you because we need to bump those numbers up, baby. Yeah, kind of tell somebody else to maybe yeah, if you, transfer yeah. your. If you over. are circling the drain from any illness, it doesn't have to be COVID nineteen. Please tell at yeah. least ten of your friends about our podcast so that we can get. Uh, Again, I, let's, let's be 100% clear. This entire podcast is designed to fulfill some need for validation that we didn't get from maybe our parents, uh, teachers, <laughs> you know, something that we've lacked our entire lives that we need now. So please, on your deathbed, uh, go ahead and tell at least Somebody. 10 people say, listen to this podcast. I think that's the point we were trying to make last week is that that's we it. can't, we don't want people to die because those are potential listeners. Listen, you frail bastards, have some empathy. <laughs> pull, pull it together. Listen to the podcast. Think about your community. But like all okay. doctors, too, do not pull the plug 
until you've played our podcast in the background because yep. you don't know where consciousness ends, you know? They yeah, found the people we, every, who are brain dead uh, mm -hmm. who came back, like, like you know, people who were essentially written off and then they came back to life, right. were conscious during most of that time where, like, there wasn't That's a whole lot of brain activity. That's your greatest fear? Being like a totally uh, what they call it like in the butterfly butterfly jar i don't know what yeah. you're talking about i forget what it's but but anyway you're oh no the diving bell oh, okay yeah I can, what do they call it? yeah where you're totally frozen can't move but you're completely conscious like that french movie and people are the doing gross bell. stuff in the room while you're there oh, that's fine that can happen give me a little entertainment but that'd be awful <laughs> please do thank you yeah that does sound awful what's the mm -hmm. like uh there was another there's like people with dementia and they played music and those people suddenly came back. Like there was some, it triggered some like buried system. Mm -hmm. And as they listened to the music, they yeah. like suddenly were themselves again. And then like after a period of time, it would go away again. Yeah. It's all really scary. I, I don't really know how to like consciousness. I saw it like, you've probably seen it. It's like a meme where it says, you know, it's like, you're not, uh, like your your skeleton, like you're driving your skeleton. Your skeleton is just like a bone exoskeleton that is like protecting your you while you drive your meat machine around every day. I wrote a haiku about it. Oh, can, let me see if I yeah, can reconstruct it real quick. Interesting. Um, I hear this. Hold on. Mike is a poet me, as well. Can you want to hear my Mario? I have a haiku about yeah. Mario of Super Mario okay. fame. Haiku. For memory. Ready? Yes. Two-dimensional Italian plumber. Jump, jump. The turtle is near. <laughs> we should have opened with that. That is amazing. I'm trying to reconstruct this haiku oh, real quick. Oh, God, that's so great. Can you say that again? Two-dimensional Italian plumber. Jump, jump. The turtle is near. Right. That might be your best I can't work ever. Okay. Well, we'll uh, that's a teaser for the like, next one. It's something like bone. I can't. I remember the first couple of lines like bone encased. I strut on these hairy stilts. I don't remember the rest of it, but something along those lines. Where yeah, are you just doing these haikus? In my, on paper. Just like you're like sitting at the office and you're like, wait a second. It's, I think it's actually pretty close to a mental illness. I had that joke. So someone made paella the other day. And I said, the good thing about paella is if you fuck it up, you just end up with paella. <laughs> and people laughed, and I was like, please stop. And you're like, don't do that. That's a no, good one. It's, there's something wrong with me. So one of the people on that Japanese cruise ship was from a town about 20 minutes away from, throw 30 minutes away from here. And then she just got back. She was in, I want to say Lackland in quarantine, is that where they put them? Lackland, of course, yeah. place. And then she just got back. So it was negative on the tests, but... We had, uh, there was a person uh, at a hospital near us mm -hmm. that was found to have had it, yeah. was in quarantine, decided to go to a business function yeah. and has exposed dozens of people. And so now they all have to go into quarantine because <sighs> this guy decided that he was just fine. too just good for fine. it. He had a really important meeting. And now I believe he has a uh, an actual health order against him, which means that like we were talking about, so like they'll capture him. Kind of, um, there's repercussions now. 
Yeah, I don't know what they do. How you would track? Maybe they put like an ankle bracelet on you. Yeah, or I'd something. love to know what that like what this because I believe I was reading about. It, I think the CDC, if there is like a quarantine order or whatever, the CDC is in charge. I mean, they must have some sort of law enforcement arm. Like yeah, there's that. a. There are cops for every federal agency. I met a uh, Secretary of State special agent the other day. Yeah. Uh, the and Department uh, of Se- uh, Diplomatic Security Service. Guy. I guess yeah. so. Yeah, they do uh, all the. Hey, you pre- didn't you work? You did some work with them. Um, no? State Department security related. Yeah, yep. Uh, he was a cool dude. Yeah. Seems like an interesting job. I don't know what he does around here, but State Department. And then Social Security has cops. There was I was talking to someone. They were they had a uh, some sort of thing they were doing with Social Security cops, which is probably the lamest of the federal agencies. Social Security fraud. What? Well, I guess stop. Social Security agent. Be like the what now? Huh? Um, it's just like an old guy, right? Isn't that Social Security? I guess. Well, I guess identity fraud. You get people stealing Social Security numbers. Listen, I'm sure that they are very important and fill some role, but couldn't the FBI do it? Pro- I mean, probably. I had a weird like experience a with social, my Social Security number when I went to get my driver's license for the first time. Um, the you know you give her a Social Security number, the lady at the DMV, and she goes, she stops. It's me and my dad. She goes. Acute, very accusatory. She goes, "Who is Willie Navarro?" <laughs> I still remember the name to this day because it's so distinct. And You're I was like, like "Me?" Oh, yeah. It's like, "Have you ever been in Miami?" And apparently, there's a guy. There was a guy with my same social security number, named Willie Navarro, in Miami. There was somebody at uh, basic training who had the same social security. He was also. It was. I think we were like out processing. Like it was pretty far in the process. And he uh, was told, like, they were like, is this you? And he's like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. And they're like, is your dad like general blah, blah, blah? And he's like, no. <laughs> it was like some generals, uh, like it. The this was a guy who was a dependent of some Air Force general. Yeah. And uh, I think he had to stay like an extra week while they tried to sort it all out. Gross. There's another guy I worked with who claimed he gave the wrong social security number when he joined the army. Mm. And so he used to walk around like telling everyone that he was a vet. And it turns out he was only in the army for like, a month yeah. and then got kicked out yeah. because he gave the wrong social security number. <laughs> so they tried, they arrested him yeah. and were charging him. Social security with, cops probably. Well, no, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> we're on the uh, it was a, uh, oh, that's true. I guess social, it's not just old people. We all have social security numbers. numbers yeah. So maybe they Identity do. Fraud or something. Yeah. Yes. It's still like the least cool of agencies. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. How did, we, how did we get on I was, this? I got one I more social security, funny social security number story. Okay. <laughs> None of them are funny. Oh, we got a million of them, folks. Yeah, they're coming. Listen, one thing you're going to learn about Scuttlebutt is we've got a lot social of social security, security humor in the story. I always got five minutes on social security numbers. Um, I was at a course, and they read out your last four of your social security numbers. You're supposed to come up and get your packet or whatever. And some guy, the, the guy obviously stops, and he goes, all right. Zero 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 one. <laughs> Some guy stands up. What a dope ass last four. <laughs> zero 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 one. I know it has something to do this with um, uh, the county and city you're born in, or some code and like the number, the first few numbers and the last number is just in order. I guess so. I don't There's a yeah. system to it, but I mean, my social security number is zero zero. <laughs> yeah. 
Psych. Nice try, Al-Qaeda. It doesn't really matter. Uh, The uh, Office of Personal Management gave all of my uh, information to China. I was part of the uh, breach when they... Did you get the uh, identity protection software or service that they've offered no i just i've i befriended the chinese agent that uh you know now tracks me yeah who has he became old pals yeah no i uh did i no i was like i think i already had one and i was like i'm not gonna set up another one that's just another opportunity to get your shit stolen really yeah who cares let them have it last time uh, i got my i think i told you it's how i bought this chair was someone they got my telephone number so yeah that's what I'm going for. I want as many people to breach my stuff so I can just keep getting settlements so I can buy this cool stuff. Identity theft, insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. I'll steal your identity and then we can, we'll just steal each other's identities. Sue yeah. each other. Okay. Stand by. Let's, let me, let me then, think about it. <laughs> and then we both get and rich. Both it's like rich. Brewster's Millions. We have to spend uh, each other's bank account. You're going to be really disappointed when you steal my identity, yeah, by mine, the way. I mostly have student loans. Super exciting. <laughs> you're like, oh man, I can buy a pretty good down payment on a car, I guess. You're like, I'll just take this. And they're like, no, no, I'm sorry, sir. You can lease a used Kia. Hmm. Those Kias are coming up in the world, though. Which year? That's true. They used to be real garbage yeah, now. Good. They're not too bad. No Kia I'd Soul. I'd take a Kia, I guess. Not the Kia Soul. That's... Skip that one. It's a real pimp wagon. Yeah, I had a friend who would always, every time he saw a Kia Soul, he'd take a picture of it standing in front of it. <laughs> Hundreds of pictures. <laughs> he always asks for what a Kia a, Soul when he goes on a vacation and gets a rental car for work. That's quite the, that's really like carrying it through. That's commitment. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. What a. <laughs> What a weird thing to do. That's right. Now he's probably like, I don't want to do it anymore. Okay, but he has to because he's like, this is what guy. I'm known for. Yeah. Yeah, this, <laughs> what's what's this? Does he have like guy, a, right? a soul patrol? Soul man? Soul man. I'm the soul, soul man. man. All right. What an embarrassing hobby. All right. Uh, so today, well, first off, with last episode, we had a real teaser because I. Mm-hmm. Landmines. Sort of shocked that we're bringing back, yeah. <laughs> Sands landmines. Yeah, big time. Is my yep. take. I um, I don't really. To be honest, I don't really know much about landmines other than that there's usually a lot of them left over post conflict, mm-hmm. and that people step on blow them. themselves up on it. Yep. I do remember at one point your dream was to be like a anti landmine dude. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was shocked. Mm-hmm appalled even oh. that you would suggest pro that you've gone pro landmine yeah um, that was a con- i took a controversial stance clickbait if you will okay uh, pro pro landmine but well, you know what you wouldn't keep landmines around your house what you wouldn't keep <laughs> oh you, sorry folks hey, please stay away from mike's house it's very dangerous you step just kidding cops Use gators to protect your property. Isn't that like the... That's one of them, yeah. Alarm system in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk... We're going to talk landmines. Yeah. And I guess... I don't really know anything about landmines. Yeah. Like I know you bear... I, I guess they don't even have to be buried, right? I mean, there's surface. all sorts of different approaches. Yep. All right. So the reason it's relevant is the Trump administration changed the Department of Defense's policy on landmines on January 31st of this year. Uh, it's a fairly big change from the Obama administration stance, which Obama is a funny litmus test because for every conservative, he's just like this 
yellow-bellied coward. And every liberal is like, he's a Nobel Peace Prize recipient. He's, he literally is like the most middle-of-the-road individual. And but, I think everyone is just a f- like that. No one wants to have to admit that they're like, I mean, every, you know, like the liberals want to be like, he's ours. Yeah. And the conservatives are like, well, he's also kind of ours too. Yeah. But anyways, sure. we're getting, I'm, I'm off okay, tangent anyway, again. Yeah. So, so in yeah. 2014, the Obama administration said, we're going to move. Let me just kind of lay out why this is important. Then we'll get into like details on nitty gritty stuff. So he said, we're going to move forward and start and try and join this thing called the Ottawa Treaty which is a ban on anti-personal landmines, which we'll get into a little bit. But he didn't He didn't say we're going to sign it. He says we're going to start moving towards it. I think the goal was 2030, which is outside of any possible, he wouldn't be president, you know what I mean? So it's like every president says, we're going to the Mars <laughs> 30 years from now. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things. And then the Trump yeah. administration on January 31st of this year rolled that back and said, not only are we not going to get onto the Ottawa Treaty, um, so me, we're going to landmine Ottawa. We're, land, we're attacking. We're invading Ottawa, Canada. <laughs> um, so previous to that, the policy had been. Let me start there. I guess the U.S. Okay. said uh, we will have landmines. We're not going to manufacture any landmines, and we're only going to have landmines in Korea, on the Korean Peninsula. And in order for the DoD to use landmines, it requires presidential authorization. So it's sort of like nuclear weapons or chemical weapons. Um, so the Trump administration said, we are going to take, we're going to use landmines or have off the Korean Peninsula worldwide, we can use landmines. Uh, and it will no longer be the president's decision. It's going to be a four-star general. So like a combatant commander for a geographical area can decide to use the landmines. He doesn't need presidential authority to do it. As well as it, one thing he did not change is that all U.S. landmines have a self-destructor and self-neutralization feature. So they blow themselves up at no later than 30 days after they've been in place. So that, oh, that wow. hasn't changed. Um, and we've reduced our stocks from their peak in like uh, around the Gulf War, I think. There were about 10 million landmines, and now we're down to about 3 million in our stock. And the, Which Gulf War? The, the original, original Gulf, Gulf War, War, which is the last time we've used landmines, with the possible exception of the, ver- of the invasion of Afghanistan. But that was the last time we used landmines. So that's the big change. There's been a change in policy. Obviously, the uh, folks on the left are like, he's a monster. He wants to use landmines everywhere. He needs to join the Ottawa Treaty. And everyone on the right is like, yeah, fuck everyone else. Let's use landmines, right? <laughs> Neither of which are an accurate representation of the policy change or some of the- Yeah, because really, so essentially with that, nothing nothing has changed because we wouldn't have really made that much progress. And right. he's... I mean, we still have to have someone needs to authorize it and want to use it, which four star general in probably most of the cases that we've got left, we're we're not building new right. fronts or right. We'd have to be secure that stuff. So we've been at war for eighteen, nineteen years and haven't used. Well, maybe we use landmines in Afghanistan. I'm still trying to figure that out. There was the landmine monitor said we used one anti personnel landmine in Afghanistan. I don't know yeah. if you mean one kind or literally Jim just put it one. Down. <laughs> I don't know what they mean. Jim crossed the board. Jim, he was a captain. He was like, put it right there. right there. Just in case. Um, <laughs> or he just dropped out of his pocket. It's like, oh, shit. He's like, Whoa, hey, hey I haven't seen that landmine I was carrying around. <laughs> Whoopsies. Hey, uh, yeah. Hey, Sergeant, where's my landmine? Go ahead and mark that one as uh, planted. Sergeant, where's my landmine? I don't know, sir. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, and then the other thing is the Ottawa Treaty is, is itself kind of weak. 
and the la- threat from landmines is a public health hazard. And I don't mean to be hard-hearted or like um, discount civilian casualties, but in the grand scheme of things, a fairly small public health hazard. Right. I mean, I think it's fairly accepted that hundreds of thousands of people have died in the last so, 20-ish years. To, in- well, let's get, we'll get to the casualty numbers and, and then okay. why landmines are like, why the injuries from landmines are particularly bad. We'll yeah. talk about that. Uh, but let's start just with a quick history of landmines, if you don't mind. So people yeah, we can no, go sit. Right. So obviously, it's just... Um, so a landmine, there's, there's basically three kind of interlocking concepts that people confuse with landmines from time to time. There's landmines, booby traps, and improvised explosive devices. And there, there's significant overlap between those three weapons, but they are distinct. And the mine ban treaty, the Ottawa treaty, really only addresses one particular type of landmine. So we'll just define those terms real quick. So a landmine is a, is a state-sponsored manufactured piece of ordnance that's designed to function when the victim uh, interacts with it. So that means... So it's got to be built by some sort of military industry designed specifically for whatever its purpose. And I'm assuming this... So uh, there's different types of landmines like anti-personnel, anti-tanks, stuff like that. Yeah, two broad categories, exactly. Anti-personnel or APERS and then anti-tank, which is now probably more accurately anti-vehicle, right? Yeah. Uh, And the big difference between those is uh, there's no strict... like technical definition it really is just size so anything large enough to destroy or damage a vehicle is anti-tank anything small enough to just kill or wound a human is anti-personnel how do you like classify a weapon as being you know sort of sanctioned by the government i guess uh well yeah it's in so it's in the um, stockpile of a of a recognized state so like okay it's manufactured by china the chinese military uses it it's got whatever their we use NSNs sure. in the U in NATO. Right. It's got whatever the Chinese equivalent of NSN is, and they can order it and, and use it. Okay. Um, booby traps in the hand are generally field improvised, and they're the technical definition is they make an apparently safe act dangerous. So, right, <laughs> which is That's why my nickname was booby trap yeah. in high school. Very nebulous. So basically, it's like turning a tempting object into an explosive trap. So you oh, like okay. in um. Uh, Fury, where they open up that piano and there's a grenade in it. That's a booby mm. trap. I mean, um, it's like tripwire type things. Yeah, but you can put tripwires on landmines, right? Oh, yeah. There we go. So, exa- so, so this what is, what is that? Now we start to understand how difficult it is to define these things like illegal terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's booby traps. And then you get IEDs, which are improvised explosive device. These are non-state sponsored terrorist organizations in, the, in their camps making explosive devices. Which... A lot of them are made with landmines. Right. Could incorporate landmines right? as yeah. a main charge or, or projectiles or whatever they find on the battlefield, they can change and turn into an ID. But if you add your own, if you go home and make a pressure plate, put it on a landmine, you've now created an IED. So I what is the what's why does it matter the distinction? So so for the dude stepping on it or picking up, right? There's no distinction, <laughs> right. right? And this right. is part of the problem. Because <laughs> Boom, either way. So legally, they're trying to say, okay, no no landmines, but they allow booby traps, right? And they say, okay, no which seems worse anti-personnel landmines, me. but they can have anti-tank landmines, which function when a person steps on it. And those are not covered by the treaty. So 
Which booby traps seems dirtier, right? I mean, like booby traps, you're mm -hmm. tricking someone, whereas a landmine is usually used to create some sort of standoff distance between you and, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's usually securing something Perfect. versus, and it's not, it's marked generally. I mean, I think, yeah. right? I mean, isn't there usually some sort of marking to indicate that they're entering an area that they shouldn't right. be in? That's a perfect segue in the history because then we can end up talking about their kind of tactical application nowadays. Okay. So yeah. it's a buried explosive that you, step, you generally step on or interact with and it detonates. So people have been trying to figure that out since they invented gunpowder. So landmines go back to like, you know, the 12th century, 13th century. Oh, damn. Um, okay. But they didn't really come into their own until um, World War One, like most weapons we use today, with the invention of the tank. And, they, and their primary role nowadays is in an anti, as an anti-tank weapon. So basically, there's terrain that you cannot drive a tank on just by nature, mountains, cliffs, rivers. Well, you can drive tanks in rivers, but, you know, things you can't drive right. tanks. Sure. And so, but there's terrain where you can drive tanks, it's just called tankable terrain. And so the point of a, of a landmine or minefield is to turn tankable terrain into untankable terrain. So, and generally, like you said, they're going to be marked, right? Uh, because you want the enemy to know, yo, I can't go there. We have to go this, either breach it. And also our own, I mean, if you're planting landmines, mm -hmm. you still are probably traveling through that area. So I imagine we would want to know Absolutely, yeah. that you've put them there. Clearly marked. And the guys that the first military to really get it scientific about minefields is the German military during World War II because they really really the ones that took the tank seriously as a weapon post-World War One, and spent a lot of time thinking about it and testing it and they tested these out in the Spanish Civil War and they realized that tanks were a significant threat um, to any army of the time and they realized they had to come up with some sort of anti-tank defense themselves in case by the way are. early tanks so dorky looking yeah. they're just so, <laughs> so ugly one of the first conceptions of what a tank would be was like they're like yo machine guns are dope as hell but they're heavy what if every infantryman had a machine gun so it was going to be a swarm of <laughs> tiny one person tanks with machine guns coming like horses like cavalry that sounds that sounds kind of cool actually uh so don't the germans still use little tiny tanks like uh uh oh god what is it called there's a really cool name for it i know i saw some like research recently that uh the u.s was actually trying to reinvest in these little tanks because uh most of the conflicts were in now are urban and you just like cruise around like a little tiny, you know, like one, two person tank. Oh, but I'm pretty sure the Germans are still using little tiny tanks. I imagine. I mean, I suppose it's not unlike an ATV or something. Maybe put some armor yeah, on it or a side a by side. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they figured this out. They got real scientific. They realized they measured, they knew how wide our tank treads were. So they knew, and they knew how many mines they had to put, how deep, how many feet apart to destroy a tank column in X amount of time. And they realized that were these, built like as mines mm -hmm. or were these things that they okay so this wasn't like they had a you know shell that they somehow modified to make this work no this, this is a purpose-built production true landmine state-sponsored if you will uh pieces of ordnance that were built in the factories and they're extremely rigorous in their mapping too because they're germans and they do everything very precisely so they had these very detailed maps they planted i don't forget i was trying to find the exact number it was somewhere in the neighborhood of three million mines in europe Holy Which Jesus. Are now, so there's probably still there. No, that's the amazing part. Oh. And this is a, a really good counterpoint uh, come later on. But uh, after World War II, the Allied powers, and this is probably a violation of the laws of war, uh, used P German POWs to um, dig up all those landmines. And they cleared, uh, 
Europe of all of those landmines in like eight months or something like this. Something ridiculous. Oh, that's crazy. So the because of the mapping, the accurate. So the Allies removed. This wasn't something that was like ordered of Germany. It like, was ordered hey, of Germany. Just, yeah. oh, okay, so we kicked your ass. Go, go clean up, clean up all your landmines, and they used German and they POWs to do it as well. Um, oh, okay. And so one of the things the Germans learned when they were putting these anti-tank landmines in, especially in because the first place they did it was in Africa, in uh, Libya, North Africa, was that if you just put a regular old anti-tank landmine that would only function when the tanks drive over it, they would just walk up to it and pick it up out of the ground and move it. So they had to add two things. That's the invention of the anti-personnel landmine, which was designed to protect anti-tank landmines from combat engineers who would come in and take it up. And then to booby trap the landmine itself, like put a grenade underneath or something. So if you picked it up, the grenade would explode. So they realized they had to do that too. So they came up with a system of combining, like, uh, I'm going to make up numbers, but like for every five anti-tank landmines, you have three anti-personnel landmines protecting you. So if you were some dude walking up and you're like, anti-take landmine at that point you're sweating because now you're like surrounded by shit there's landmines everywhere around exactly and those anti-personnel landmines obviously had to be a little more sensitive because a a person had to set it off and generally it's between like five and 20 pounds of pressure for the pressure um or tripwire type anti-personnel landmines but the anti-tank landmines there's no rule of thumb but usually it's hundreds of pounds although you could and people do make them that are uh you know 10 pounds of pressure so anyway, we're not going to get too much into how the uh, uh, fuses function because it's not super relevant. Sure. But um, anyway, so they, they came with a system. You need anti-tank landmines protected with anti-personnel landmines, and you need overlapping fields of fire on top of these things so you can shoot people or destroy tanks that get disabled inside the minefield and so on. So it came a really complicated system. And the, the important part was just specifically targeting tanks and turning tankable terrain into untankable terrain. So that's the basic history, and we'll just kind of fast forward to the mid-90s when there was this big push that kind of culminated with Princess Diana, if you remember her anti-landmine drive um, to kind of eliminate... Well, don't use the word drive in Princess, Princess Diana oh, in the same sentence. Oh, it's too soon. So in the mid-90s, there was this push to get rid of landmines, and it was actually extremely effective... Um, like public policy, not propaganda, but advertising campaign. And they, they got a lot of work done really, really quickly, which is very impressive. But one of the criticisms is that they kind of bypassed all the international legislative bodies and all the sort of normal mechanisms for getting things set up and just kind of ramrodded it down and kind of came up with a, not a great treaty. Uh, and this, the full name of this treaty is the Convention on the Prohibition Sorry, Convention on the Prohibition of the Use, Stockpiling, Production, and Transfer of Anti-Personnel Mines and on Their Destruction. So generally just called the Ottawa Treaty. That was the final, it was finalized in September 1997. And one of its stipulations was that you had to have, it was a UN treaty. So UN nations had to sign on to it. Once they had 40 folks sign on, they, would, they created this thing called the, uh, the Landmine Monitor, which was a... a tracking thing that tracked the number of casualties, the number of landmines, and tracked the destruction of landmine stockpiles. So if a, a company was a signatory to this, or a country was a signatory to this, not only could they no longer manufacture landmines, they had to destroy their stockpiles, and they had to dig up all their anti-personnel landmines that were in the ground. It's a big ask. And they had to provide money to the landmine monitor as well. So currently, switch to the internet, there's only a few countries that are not signatories to the Ottawa Treaty, and there's like 33 of them. The important ones are, these are not signatories. So China, 
Egypt, India, Iran, Israel, both Koreas, uh, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, the UAE, and us, United States. So pretty much any country with a conflicted border. Exactly right. Where they don't want to have people crossing right, it. And don't have an, it's too big to secure otherwise. Exactly correct. And the, as, as it, the name implies, it's only about anti-personnel landmines. So it doesn't yeah. cover anti-tank landmines. It doesn't cover booby traps, which are still permitted under this treaty. That's just mind-boggling. Yeah. Booby traps seem so much worse. Right. And you can have an anti-tank landmine. They're, they make anti-tank landmines where the fuse is an anti-personnel landmine. So you just put the anti-personnel <laughs> landmine in the anti- now it's an anti- Now it passes. Now you can have it. Because... Right? It's Ottawa Treaty compliant. It wasn't super thought out. Yeah. Not super effective. And there was this huge public uh, outcry calling all the non signatories, like, you know, kind of calling their moral character into question, uh, which is not completely accurate or not completely fair, I guess is a better way to put it, uh, especially for the US because we already said, um, our landmines are non-persistent, right? They have self-destruct features on them. They only last for 30 days, all of them, anti-tank and anti-personal landmines, whereas everyone, all the other signatories can still lay persistent landmine minefields, which is the problem, right? Because they exist right. after the war has ended. Ours will destroy themselves. Obviously, there's always a dud rate, but they'll destroy themselves within 30 days. So that's a non-persistent field, which is, in my mind, kind of a better system, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into some of the statistics and then there's a lot of inflated that there's a huge conflict between so because now there's all this money involved and all this kind of public outcry a lot of NGO non-governmental organizations have been set up to get after landmines so you have the like the administrative overhead the guys running the organizations and then you have the guy the operational portion of the guys actually pulling landmines out of the ground right. and then there's like there are a lot of conflict between these two. So the guy, the operational guys say the administrative folks are inflating numbers. Uh, they're taking money because it's a, it's government grants, right? It's free money. There's no real accountability. It's not like you have stockholders or shareholders or anything asking for returns from this money. They just kind of give you the money. So there's right. this money is going to, to pay for these conferences, which is a huge number of anti-landmine conferences every year. It's going to R and D for like high technology that's fairly irrelevant for actual demining. Um, yeah. Like, you know, some def- contractors right. saying like, I need this it's, super machine this UAV or, and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Using rats and all this kind of silly stuff. That's not really practical. Uh, Cause these minefields are generally in fairly austere environments, really rugged terrain. And they've been there for decades undisturbed because people know where the minefields are. They don't go there. So there's forests now on top of these minefields. Um, and the UN, this is one, a great thing about the Ottawa Treaty, is they, they define, there's this thing called the United Nations Mine Action Service. The S, I forget what the S stands for. I believe it's service. Anyway, they, it's like the OSHA for mine, uh, for demining. So they define exactly the process for doing it, how you mark a minefield, how you get up to the mine, how you dispose of it, and what, you, what standard you have to meet in order to declare a piece of land um, free of landmines and it's, you have to dig three feet down basically, which is pretty deep. So you can imagine you're on a mountainside in Afghanistan that's overgrown and you have to Craggy. dig exactly three feet down. That rat's not doing you a lot of favors. <laughs> like it comes down to somebody with a metal detector on their hands and knees with a stick poking the ground and then pushing dirt away with their fingers, cutting roots with scissors, right? That's just what it, 
that's what it is. There's no, there's no getting around that with technology. So the complaint again is the operational folks are saying, yeah, it's great. There's all this public outcry and all this money, but we're not seeing it on the ground level. And the operational folks are saying a lot of these numbers are, are massively inflated. So as, as an example, the current estimate. So initially in the mid nineties, the estimate was that there were uh, 220 million. I'm sorry. That's Egypt. 110 million landmines in, currently in the ground. Um, the the estimate now is that that's inflated and it's more like 10 percent of that. So more like 11, oh, okay. 11 million landmines. Still a lot of landmines. A lot of landmines, right? A lot of those are also in inaccessible areas, um, places where people just don't go necessarily. So there might be a million landmines in this country, but they're on the mountain. You know, they're in a valley that nobody ever goes to. So you have to consider accessibility too. Um, so it, it's not that there's 111 million landmines that people are going to step on tomorrow. Uh, another problem is they combine numbers. So they're not just talking, that number doesn't include just landmines, but they don't tell you that. They call them landmines, but they include uh, unexploded ordnance. So like dud fired artillery rounds and hand grenades. And they also wrapped IEDs into that too. Uh, so it, it doesn't include everything that, it includes things that are not covered under it's pretty the, much any UXO that would be left over right. from any sort of conflict. Which granted presents, a ha- I'm not trying to diminish civilian casualties. But how are you even, like even accounting for that though? I mean, you like, you'd think, I mean, how, how is this even tracked? That just seems like right. insane to me. Yeah, that there's a you lot could... of statistics and interpolation occurring. So uh, they also keep track of casualties. In, the late, the 2008, in 2018, there were 6,897 casualties uh, from what they call landmines. That includes UXO and IEDs. So, by casualties, are they? Is that like they're dead, dead, dead or are they wounded, dead and wounded? Okay, yeah. but it gets weirder than that. So, in 2018, of those casualties, 3,789 were, were caused by IEDs, half. So you're talking 3,100 casualties from landmines and UXO worldwide. And since 1999, which is when uh, they finally had 40 signatories in the landmine monitor started tracking this stuff. Since 1999, there's been 130,000 casualties, according to the Landmine Monitor, which is the UN agency that tracks it. Any way keep, to like, keep in mind, like trend analysis? Like, is that, are, are they decreasing, they, increasing, or is it pretty much? They have pretty good statistics. The lowest year was like 3,000, and I think it was 2013, I believe, was the year's lowest year. But keep in mind, this isn't just civilian casualties. This includes military casualties, too. Oh, really? Yeah, and and um, 71% of that 6,897% were civilians. So a, a third of those were soldiers. So, which not to, not to diminish but, that. I mean, that just seems like you wouldn't, that's not the issue, right? I mean, like if you're in war, you, people are going to die. It's sort of, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, it's, right. it is what it is versus like, yeah, I guess my problem with landmines uh, and it's, I mean, I, you know, obviously you don't want some kid coming up across no, some absolutely persistent landmine mm-hmm. that's been buried. Yep. Um, but I guess if it's, I mean, it's more, that's fewer people than have died from COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, almost anything. Yeah. So you think about <laughs> malaria, for instance, which is like the classic you, example. Yeah, what is your deal with malaria? Well, it's man. a preventable disease and it kills an insane number of people. Lot. It's been yeah, eradicated in many places. Millions. It wouldn't be that expensive to eradicate. Uh, and, but we don't do anything about it. I mean, car accidents, there's probably more people killed in car accidents in these countries 
by like significant numbers than exactly landmines. Right. So this is the problem of the Ottawa Treaty. It covers only anti-personnel landmines, uh, that which represent. I'm not trying to diminish these three thousand people that were killed and wounded. Sure. Yeah. No. Represents from a public health perspective a pretty small threat, but yeah. people just get pill. You know, governments have that are non-signatories get pilloried for not following this treaty, which is it doesn't even address the problem, which is very small to begin with. Well, and it's different. Like I think you know the U.S. in particular has taken this approach to war where it's very sanitized. Like we really only want. I mean, if we can, we don't want any of our members actually even in direct conflict. Right. We want, you know, essentially to rope the robots yep. to do the killing and we want the killing to be very precise. So well, that's the other thing. anytime you've got any civilian casualties, you know, that seems that's problematic despite the fact that, you know, I mean, we've got to be fair, like it's probably the we have the least civilian casualties in history when it comes to yeah. armed conflict. But um at the same time, like I would imagine landmines could actually prevent probably a lot of deaths as well. Yeah, that's right. You have to consider the opportunity cost. So now you're not stopping tank advances with landmines. You're going to have to use artillery. Um, and you could communicate with even civilians and say, hey, like we know your city is super at risk. We're going to put up these landmines to keep. You know, I mean, like you think in like Syria where you've got these Russian mercenaries and even Syrian uh, government forces, you know, say Aleppo, hey, we're going to block all these routes to keep the bad guys from coming in and killing you, you know, just stay away from that. Non-persistent minefields. And in 30 days, they'll go away. That's actually something I didn't even know was actually the case. I didn't know that our landmines self-destructed. So I think if people understood that, that would probably change their attitude Mm -hmm. that like, and it's just, you know, it feels, I think any time, well, think like of like this is the dorkiest uh argument for this but you know when you're playing uh your modern warfare sure. video game huh. you hate when people are using seems unfair, right? and yeah. stuff it's such yeah you're like this is such bullshit yeah. <laughs> i got killed because you're a coward yeah. and you planted this and you know you weren't even around to you know fight me for right. it so i think that that probably has some there's definitely a psychological imp and they're they're originally the brits called the landmines infernal machines and they've, they've always been and they use the american civil war as well confederates use them and the uh union was so upset they forced confederate soldiers to go and dig up their own landmines which again violate there was no these laws of war didn't exist that time but having POWs yeah. do extra dangerous work is a violation of the laws of war but yeah yeah so Sort of an, and again, not to diminish uh, the threat because the the wounds are horrific. Yeah, and we can talk about blast injuries too. And this is the other thing: the medical care, like a blast injury, is a very complicated it's a survival medical, thing. Now, it's very complicated right? medical event, and a lot of these doctors in the austere environments might not know about it. So, okay. we'll just talk about what happens when you step on like an anti-personal landmine. Say, so yeah, I would say it has like there's this landmine called a PMN, which is a super common old Soviet landmine that's been copied by many, many people has half a pound of TNT in it. So if you step on it, it amputates your leg about to the knee. And then it obviously turns your leg, that leg, the bones become strap frag that embed in your other leg and pits of gravel will, will embed in your other leg. So you uh, infections and all that shit. Exactly. And that's the thing. So, so the blast is- wave travels up the thigh. So it'll shatter your, your, your femur basically up to your hip 
and the blast wave travels up your leg and destroys flesh inside your leg. So you end up with infection. So a, a doctor who does it not familiar with blast injuries would say, well, let's amputate just above the traumatic amputation and save as much as the leg as possible. But all that flesh above it is dead right. and, and will be much toast. susceptible to infection. And then they'll start amputating more and more of the leg up towards the hip. And the name for it is salami surgery, which is kind of gross. But they sli- slice off larger and larger sections of the leg, which is extremely painful, opens you up to infections and other complications. And obviously it leaves a horrific injury because now you're amputated up to the hip and you've spent months yeah. in a hospital in a you know third world hospital. probably not in a good hospital right and the surgeries are probably not super great either so that's you know they're horrific injuries um that what is actually causing so when a is it uh like do they have ball bearing like how does the what what is in it that's actually so, is it just pressure wave yeah, we can or? get into two different types so there are blast landmines which are generally buried and then there's anti-personal frag landmines which are generally above the surface uh, you know was that like a claymore or something a claymore yeah or these things called palm z's which are just they look like little grenades on sticks and they usually trip wire. what about the bouncing betty that seems like the coolest of the landmines <laughs> yeah, so those are called uh, bounding frags so those are those are buried and when you step on it there's a little charge that pops a grenade up in the air and the grenade detonates in the air and generates frag it's just I, like i again <laughs> we, we can't reiterate enough <laughs> Let's not diminish the injuries, but how cool of a device. For a split second, you'd be like, oh, that's neat. And then it's just. Yeah. Invented, yeah. Invented by the or it just embeds itself in your crotch. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Never yeah, mind. That's, well, that's less. <laughs> uh, yeah, invented by the. Bring me down, man. The Germans. And those, those injuries are extremely complicated, too, because now you have multiple uh, penetration wounds in a chest yeah. cavity, which won't kill you right away. Um, you know, you can survive a penetration wound to the chest for hours so most anti anti-personnel lines they're not killing you instantly these are not devices that they're are generally designed they're small enough and they're generally designed just to maim yeah and is that just as a like hey uh we're gonna slow you down because we just took out someone that you now have to address medically or it's just that's just they're, they're not there's not enough explosives and frag in there to kill you yeah it's six to one half dozen the other because you there's they have to be small enough to they're smaller playing a shit ton exactly of them. right and then yeah they're designed to maim because the casualty is very difficult to deal with so you can imagine the psychological effect of someone stepping on a landmine or in patrol and now you have to like you think you're surrounded by landmines you got to get to this casualty who's still alive and transport him out yeah you're done yeah. you're not you're not moving anywhere it's going to take a, an hour especially in modern hours. combat you know yeah. no one's going to order you to move through that they're going to tell you to yeah. back out treat the casualty and exactly so uh, yeah, that's why they're generally smaller and generally designed specifically to maim for those reasons. Uh, yeah, and there are horrific injuries, but it's important to keep in mind this, the scale of the problem, what the Ottawa Treaty actually addresses, which is a small slice of the actual problem, and the fact that the U.S. has already addressed this in the design of their landmines, and I think a more robust way. Right, because, I mean, there's... Otherwise, we've just incentivized them to use... I mean... Booby-trapped. Booby-trapped. Yeah, that, which... Are probably just as horrific yeah, of injuries, identical not, injuries, just a different switch. And then, and then if you're if you decide that you're like, well, I'm not going to use booby traps either. I'm just going to use anti tank for everything. You're just going to kill people because right. anti tank. And maybe back in the day, well, not in the '90s, but you know, civilians didn't have cars as often, and now people right. drive around cars all over the goddamn place. They're going to set off anti tank landmines. Any other like interesting landmine facts? I, I like again. I don't really know. I didn't. I didn't know we had self. Uh, what was it called? What do you what do you call it when the uh, self destruct? Or so they have two features. They're designed to self destruct, would blow themselves up, 
And then if that fails, if they do, if that switch duds, they're designed to self-neutralize. So they still exist. They're still sitting there, but they can't function. When you say self-destruct, <laughs> is it like the full charge is going yeah. off or there's like another charge? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's still like, that seems scary. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the criticisms is now you have a minefield that can explode randomly at any, any point. And then if you do have right. a, a self-neutralized landmine, you don't know that it's self-neutralized. You still have to treat it as if it's real. Uh, and they will. I mean, the explosives are in there too. So if someone digs it up, they still have that's right. the potential. To- that's the other issue. That's one of the other criticisms about any landmine use, and this happens in everywhere. Is terrorist organizations know where the landmines are, dig them up out of the ground, and turn them into IEDs. What kind of what what is it like? It's it's plastic explosives, or what does it actually even use? Um, Shape charges, anything? Yeah, there are. So we can talk about the different types of landmines. So. There's two types of, well, there's a bunch, well, yeah, there's really just two types of anti-tank landmines. You have a blast, which is just a huge amount of explosives, usually like 10 to 30 pounds, something like that. And then you have what are called penetration landmines, which have shape charges in them, um, which are designed to punch through arm, smaller amounts of explosives, but they form this projectile that moves very, very quickly and will penetrate armor. Um, and those are kind of a second generation. So when World War II and early parts of the Cold War, they're all blast landmines and they figured out this shape charge thing and they started putting those in the ground. And the switches on those and the fuses on those can get very complicated. So they're not just pressure. Uh, they can be infl- uh, set up by magnet magnets, or something. Yeah, magnets yeah. and sound, usually in combination. So it's listing for, because if that magnet sensor is running all the time, it's going to run down batteries real quick. So there's this other switch that's listing for tank sounds once it hears tank sounds it activates the magnetic sensor it's pretty sophisticated it is fairly sophisticated yeah yep so these are probably more expensive which means they probably more expensive and i've never seen one i've seen a lot of landmines i've never once seen and nor do i know anyone who's ever seen in the wild an influence uh landmine of that kind so and are the those mines i mean like is that enough that's not enough to kill a tank it's basically just trying to disrupt the like break the treads or the blast ones yeah which will generally just break the treads but the the penetration ones are designed to kill the crew yeah that one's gonna go set the inside on fire set off ammo and destroy the tank yeah which is usually called a catastrophic kill so you have mobility kills which just stops the tank breaks a tread and a catastrophic kills which just kills the entire crew and even that a shape charge again is pretty sophisticated it's probably not the most common no they're, yeah they're just they're not nearly as common as, as blast landmines Although there's a new, brand new generation of what they're called wide area munitions, which are landmines that they sit there, they have the sophisticated sensors, the acoustic seismic uh, mag sensors, they sense heat, that kind of stuff, tank engine heat. And when they see a target, it could be 50 feet away, they shoot this little projectile up in there that has a shape charge in it. The shape charge goes up there, has its own sensors, turns itself to face the tank, and then shoots the shape charge down through the tank. Uh, I love it. That's so awesome. That's, like the just the ingenuity. Well, yeah. Of like, who who's run? Is that a U.S.? That's got to be a U.S. Uh, that's got to be a fairly first world. Uh, yes, all your all your major powers. So basically, the countries I listed, that were not signatories. So those are that. That's not going to kill an innocent person. That is so targeted, and I mean, you'd have to like trip fifty different sensors in order to activate it. There's a lot of. Seems like there's a lot of uh, tripwire safety built into it. That's it, true, and, and a lot of U.S. landmines. There has to be a. There's a command function. So there's a human in the firing circuit who has to oh, push really? a button and say, "Yeah, that's an enemy," and they'll they'll set it. And it's just exactly for the. That's so. That's another reason why they have these self-destruct features and command features. And 
is that we need to pass through our own minefields. And this is what the U.S. discovered in particular, because they weren't doing in World War II, because they weren't making particularly accurate maps in the, of their own minefields. So they would lay a minefield to keep the Germans out. Then they'd have to go chase the German tank formation that they just repelled and end up running through landmine minefields they didn't know were there. And we experienced this in Vietnam in particular, and then there were some concerns with the Cold War, with the Russian invasion of Europe too. So in Vietnam, obviously you had the NVA, North Vietnamese Army, that had tanks and artillery, and the Viet Cong. And they were kind of working in conjunction, obviously. And it, it ended up making a fairly frontless war, so tanks could kind of appear anywhere. You might have to right. repel a tank, uh, strike through a, a, you know, a, a, a sector, and then you'd have to go back there and clear the village of villages of Viet Cong. So they would plant these minefields and then they'd be like, okay, go clear back through the minefield. Just fucking plant it. And they'd be like, you're fucking high. <laughs> we took a lot of casualties from our own landmines and it was an extremely long process. So they're like, this is actually the impetus for the self-destruct feature. Um, one of the impetus is the other one is uh, the cold war where we were expecting every tank in Russia to come barreling through Overland. Germany. Right. But we couldn't plant minefields in Germany because it was like suburban. There were farms and towns and roads and stuff. Uh, so we wanted to be able to dispense, to produce landmines, minefields very quickly, and then be able to drive through our own minefields uh, within a few days. So the tank invasion comes. We put down a minefield. It slows it down. Right. We repel that tank invasion, pass through our own minefield. So that that's really the impetus for the self-destruct feature on these things, not necessarily humanitarian concern. Although that's you know dovetails nicely with it. So they're pretty cool. And again, they're not really going to be used uh, unless we're fighting some of the tanks, right? You know, there's no need for them. Right. Why, why do you, what do you, what do you think the, is it purely publicity? Like people just don't understand well, it. I mean, it is again, not to diminish and there are horrific injuries, right? You see pictures of kids missing legs or hands and stuff and eye injuries, blast injuries are, are awful. But they can get that from blasting caps. I mean, there's all sorts of like, you know, leftover stuff that can maim and injure that people don't seem to care about. From UXO, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also a concern, again, not to diminish that. But we are talking about a to worldwide casualties last year of, of just under 7,000. And that includes IEDs and that includes soldiers dying. Which IEDs are intentionally... So... And IEDs planted or so that, that, that includes like VBIDs mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yep. So you have some, you know, van that pulls in front of a, a mosque during a wedding or something and takes out 60 people, you know, that's counted yes. in this list. That's my understanding. Yep. Yeah. So that doesn't seem fair to sort of, I mean, again, I don't like, I don't know. I'm actually now, now I'm on the fence. Now I feel like I'm sort of pro landmine because yeah. I mean, it's such an effective standoff weapon mm -hmm. where you, you know, like you don't have to, you can protect an, a huge amount of area. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the psychological effects of like, even if you didn't have anything buried, but you said, this is a, you know, this is a minefield. That's what the, like yeah, people aren't going to go through That it. what happens from time to time. In the last big mine war that, that the U.S. was involved in World War II, that's what the Germans would do. They just set up the flags. Just placebo. And say, yo, there's like, minefield here. here. Yeah. And then you yeah. think about opportunities costs. If we're not, we have to repel tanks somehow. If we're not using landmines, what are we using? And are those inherently safer Probably. to civilians in the long term than, than not. Yeah. I mean, what, what are we using? Tow missiles and other sort of Artillery weapons bombs, that, right. you know, once you're, yeah, exactly. Once it's off, it's live and yep. it's going to blow up somewhere. Yep. Exactly. Right. I think I'm pro, pro I think I'm pro landmine. Landmine. I don't know if I want to say pro landmine, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone's pro landmine. <laughs> I don't think a hard stance on this, <laughs> but I think the, uh, the alternative is, 
probably much worse. And it's, Nor does the, know, and the important part is, of course, the Ottawa Treaty doesn't actually address everything. Like it should be soup to nuts. Like don't leave exploded or unexploded ordinance that can kill innocent people. That's another thing. The U.S. spends huge amounts. Not, well, I don't have the exact number in front of me, unfortunately, but they, there's a program. It's called Humanitarian Mine Assistance that the DOD and the State Department does where they send people. I've had a lot of friends have gone and done humanitarian mine assistance in foreign countries. They go and they, they train people on those U.N. mass standards. That's military folks who are going military and teaching and people. State or? Department, yeah. Contractors, that kind of stuff. So they, and they spend a lot of money when they clean up a lot of other people's landmines. You know, not even U.S. landmines. They pick them out of the ground. Yeah, I think the problem is probably not ours. It sounds like if all of ours are basically designed to, you know, render themselves either inert or blow themselves up, then yeah, the issue are these persistent landmines placed. So uh, a couple of countries I was in. I was in one country that had successfully they signed on the Ottawa Treaty. Success story for the Ottawa Treaty. Gotten rid of their landmine stockpiles. Uh, effectively demined their entire country, and we're no longer using landmines. So that's a victory. Yeah, that's good. Right? Um, Especially if they're not at war anymore and they don't need to expect exactly, more to right. they're not, Exactly. They don't have that threat anymore. Uh, and then when I was in Africa, the, some of the guys I was working with described, they. I asked them about landmines. They said, the landmine is the perfect soldier because he never sleeps and he's always waiting out there, which is total fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he just kills everybody. He doesn't matter. It's, it's like that's <laughs> so now, that's actually not a great. Like yeah, really like I don't over. want my buddy to be like. I'm, I'm as soon as I sense danger, I'm killing can't. anything within like a uh, ten meter radius. Yeah, that's not a good. That's a really poorly trained soldier. <laughs> and, or you, you know? right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy either. <laughs> and you don't know where he's at either because um, they didn't map these goddamn things. Right. <laughs> Just out there. So, uh, and is the is the threat largely from like old conflicts, like pre, you know, modern Let me pull up era? The, uh, most mined countries. Off the top of my head, it's Afghanistan, Laos, which is us. Which these are, so I mean, Laos sure. should should definitely that's be cleaned up. But like Afghanistan's still in conflict. Egypt. I mean, it's like if you're if you're a nation that's still at war, like how can you be expected? Well, those are, I mean, Afghanistan. How much we're drop? I mean, there's just constant ordnance and explosives just everywhere. I mean, it's not like that's just not a safe. Like you couldn't even demine it if you wanted to, because it's probably too friggin' dangerous to even demine well, it. Here's, so here's the top four mined countries according to the landmine monitor: uh, Egypt with 23 million landmines, which is widely exaggerated. Again, these numbers are. Probably that should be about 10% of that, according to the operational folks. Is that Egypt that over, like they want people to think there's 23 million? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer to that question. So they're obviously mining against uh, invasions from Israel. Iran has about 16 million. Afghanistan has 10 million. And Angola has about 10 million. That was their war down there with South Africa. Yeah. And South Africa, actually, the war, that war down there, spawned a lot of so the MRAP the V-Hull design on our vehicles right. comes out is a South African design in response to the landmine threat in that region um, so in those countries the numbers are slightly exaggerated uh, a lot of those landmines from Afghanistan are in place by the Soviets because they right. use a, a just outrageous number of landmines yeah I mean, it was Russian they, tactics you yeah. know you just salt the earth kind so. of a war of attrition exactly and they, yeah. and they weren't doing um you know, the Taliban didn't really have tanks or not. The, you know, I mean, the Mujahideen didn't really have tanks. That was just sort of a, 
an attempt at attrition, which is the kind of Soviet style of warfare, Russian style of warfare. Yeah. So that's my opinion on landmines. No, it's good. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm really, I'm, you converted me. Cool. So I feel like that's. And again, I'm not <laughs> pro. It'd be ideally. No, no, no. We're all pro landmines now. We want them everywhere. <laughs> ideally, we would never have a need for landmines. Ideally, there would be zero yeah. civilian casualties ever. Um, but let's be realistic about the public health threat that they pose. Yeah. And then, I think we need to invest in other areas or. Malaria. Like, let's make it like not just one component of this you know it needs to be everything or what's the point right. because even if you're like a nation that is quasi in compliance you could still just plant anti-tank booby traps anti-tank the booby trap thing is mind-boggling why would they not include booby traps yeah. like booby traps just seem so dirty and sketchy yeah. what do you want to talk about next week i don't know Paella. Paella. We could talk about paella. I don't really know much about paella. Other about than it's like, or food or oh, something? That's right. We were supposed to do that. Yeah, it was one of the recommendations my brother had. He said we're, yeah. we're his perception of our demo is deep in the dude bro category, Perfect. but also slightly intellectual because this is mm. not uh, like simple, you know, like we're talking about some complex stuff, but... Um, uh, uh, I was gonna. Do you like you like bourbon, right, or whiskey? Yeah, I mean, I drink it for sure. Peanut butter whiskey. Uh, yes, I have. You had um, too much of it, in fact. Screwball. It is That's screwball. Yes. That's the brand. Yeah, I've had. It's so good, and I actually looked it yeah. up because I was like, this thing has to be loaded with sugar. It's not. It's mm. actually the. There's no more sugar than a regular bourbon. Oh, you know what we can talk about? Yeah. Illegal stilling operations. I bought a still and I'm making brandy this weekend because I make my own wine, yeah, which is not very good. So I want to make brandy out of it. Well, you, talk, you did some home brewing. Maybe we talk about something in that area. It never goes well. <laughs> There's a reason that hobby didn't last for anybody. Uh, made one batch and it was my son was just born, who's now five. He was probably like a month or less. And and my wife was, uh, as I was uh, doing the uh, racking, so I was moving it from the lauder ton to the, there's it the, I don't even remember all the That's process. what beer is, is so confusing. Is. So I was taking it from, I just boiled it and I was moving it into the next phase. And my siphon failed through that process. And there's like a, you know, you have to sanitize everything. And as I was right. siphoning it, uh, the, or sorry, the siphon failed. And in order to use the like sterile siphoning process, you really need like two people or you need like yes, to be able to do it ahead pump. of time. And yeah. so in the midst of it, I just, I was like, I panicked. I put it in my mouth and I Taste. sucked it to get the siphon mm. back. And it kept We've going. <laughs> we sure have. And, uh, <sighs> At that point, I contaminated the entire batch, and it was uh, I over char- uh, charged it as well. I put too much sugar in there, so I mean yeah. that's uh, the. I mean, when I opened the first bottle, I mean that sucker was exploded. Yeah, it was carved out like crazy, <laughs> and it was skunked, so it had awful mouthfeel. It just felt like you were drinking like bubbly acid, and then it tasted mm-hmm. like uh, pure. Uh, 
but so I think this is a good uh, metaphor for viruses, right? Like it spread that hobby yeah. homebrewing spread very quickly, mm-hmm. but also burned out very Thankfully. quickly. It just destroyed people who tried it. Not only that, I'm like, uh, yeah, destroyed it. And uh, nobody was like, this is bullshit. Yeah, no, I, I was exposed to a lot of really bad beer during that time. Everyone did oh, a absolutely. brown ale because that was like the cheapest kit to get because no yeah. one wants to drink a brown ale. And right. uh, there's nothing worse. Like Newcastle is pretty gross on its own. Like mm. your buddy's version of Newcastle is really, <laughs> really disgusting. Yeah. Bootleg. Yeah. That's what exactly. I was trying to think of. Bootleggers. I don't remember yeah. what the. Well, we can talk about bootleggers. Yeah, we can do that. We'll talk about stealing or something. Um, all right. So next week, we'll talk about that. I'm curious about uh, stills. I don't really know much about it. I don't know much about it either, so we'll just kind of figure it out together, I guess. Okay. Cool. Um, Well, that's Scuttlebutt episode three. It's three. And I love love you very deeply. I love you very deeply. (laughs) I cherish our time together, and I respect your (laughs) soul. So there's that. I'm going to go ahead and plant landmines around my heart (laughs) to keep you out of it. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thank you, everyone.